0: Alright, if you need notes, you can put your hand up, somebody will get you notes, they're online as well, you know the routine, um, we'll get you hooked up. We're going to be in the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, so you can also be opening your Bibles there, while we're getting situated. And, uh, we're, you know, our, our, our key verse, our, our text, is really just going to be one verse. Um, we need it all the way back down in the front, so we can hook up Wagi. As you head back down this way. Your arm's getting tired, I could tell. So I'll just, I'll just help you out, man. There you go. Um, well, I love this verse. You know, there's a lot of verses in the Bible that are like this, that are just, you know, packed full of stuff, and you could spend hours and hours talking about it. Um, and this verse in particular, it's real simple. And it just walks us through, it gives us, you know, three different types of people in this verse. And it tells us what they are, who they are, and we're going to look at how to identify them. And then after that, it tells us what to do with these kind of people. Right? And so I put a real simple title on it. It's just identify and respond, because that's exactly what this verse is going to show us how to do. It's how to identify certain types of people, but then how to respond rightly to them. Now, I have to also confess that I love a verse like this because because I'm an ER nurse. um, I love a verse like this because... What we do, and Chris Best, Dr. Best gets this, is we see a problem and we want to identify it. And then once we identify it, once we can put a name on it, then we can respond appropriately. And we have different treatment routes and courses depending on what we've identified. And if we can't identify it, then uh, that's where that practicing medicine thing comes in. We just throw stuff at it for a while until we can figure it out and then we can respond appropriately, right? And so, you know, I know that if I, if I can say this is asthma, then I know exactly the route I want to go down. I know I want to get something that will make your airways open up. That's, that's the right treatment, right? And if this is low blood sugar, then I know what route I want to go down. And the response is different, and it's based on what you, know, what you have identified. Right? And that makes sense. We do the same thing with antibiotics. Sometimes you'll get started on an antibiotic for an infection, and then your doctor will call you up a day later and go, oh, hey, stop that one. I just called in a new prescription for you. Because what they've been doing is they've been trying to figure out exactly what kind of, uh, of organism is inside your body, and then they wanted to, once they identified that, they want to line up the treatment with the organism that's in there so that it is most effective, right? And so that's what we're trying to do. So we're trying to be able to identify and then apply the most effective response in in these situations, all right? We'll read the verse and then we'll start walking through and talking about some of this and it's real simple. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. Right, And so really we'll be talking about identifying and then responding. And this is important because uh, you know, everyone assumes that this is a pastor's job, and it is. It is our job to, to look over the state of the flock and to, to know where our people are and then know how to respond rightly to where they're at. That's absolutely true. But it's not just a pastor's job. If you're a discipler, then a lot of this is going to be very important to you because you have a counseling role too in the life of those that you're discipling. If you're a father or a mother, if you're a parent, then you have the same responsibility towards your children, to be able to know your children and see where they're at and respond differently as they give you different presentations and different problems. Uh, if you're a, Even if you're just a good friend, you go, I'm just new to this and, and I'm not discipling anyone yet. Well, you know what? If you're a good friend and your friend comes to you with a problem, you too want to know how to figure out where they're at and then give them the response that best fits their situation and gives us the greatest probability of recovery. So the responsibility, or the, I'm sorry, the response then is always directed to the issue. That should be our goal to get a response that is directed towards the issue so that it fits the exact issue we're dealing with. So, with those antibiotics, we have what we call these really broad spectrums, and we just kind of throw them at everything, but they don't fit the specific issue, and the specific ones do a lot better. And so that's what we're trying to do in terms of our counseling as well, and the way that we we lead and we guide people. Also, we want to know that we want to say that the response is always directed to the level of the issue as well. Okay? So we want to make sure that we're we're fitting it in at the right level. So if you come into Chris's clinic and you got a laceration on your arm, that's something that you need to see a doctor for. And typically they would put stitches in it, but if you come in and Chris is like, ah, we'll just amputate. You go, that doesn't match the level of the problem that I came in with. And now what you've done is you've, you've taken a problem, but then in trying to fix it, you've actually made it worse. So don't make dealing with the issue worse than the actual issue. And so that's why I'm going to tell you some of these things tonight. So that I can help you as you try to help your friends. And so you're not the guy who's just, or the girl who's just, you know, spouting off a bunch of stuff. But actually making everything worse. Some of you might understand. That's okay. You're here tonight. We're going to walk through it. All right? So that's what we're trying to do. So, number one, and the outline's real simple, but it starts with this it says, Warn the unruly. So, what we need to do is we need to identify the unruly. What does that mean? It means disorderly, it means out of rank, it means not controlled, it means without rule, unruly. And you get that, right? And it can also mean, you know, a, a short fuse. It could mean anger. It could, it could be in words or in actions. There's a lot of different ways that being unruly can play out. Um, and you get that because as soon as I started saying, maybe I just said the word unruly, and immediately someone else's kid popped into your mind. <laughs> right? You get unruly. And for some of you, you're thinking of the kid to, that belongs to the parent sitting next to you, and what you don't realize is they're doing the same thing. And you're like, unruly, I get it. I know exactly what that is because I got... No, we're not thinking of our own kids. I know how it goes. But you're thinking of someone else's kids. And so you understand unruly. They're just out of bounds constantly, out of control all the time. Proverbs 25, 28 says this. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. That's unruly. Those that have no control, no rule over their own uh, spirit. There are no boundaries. And what the Bible says is that person is like a city that's broken down and without walls. Anything can come in and out. Anything goes in that place. You're up for attack all the time. You're unsettled. You're insecure. You You have no ability to sleep peacefully at night. Because you have no walls in your life. And you know that at any minute, well, whatever shows up is going to show up. And I am susceptible to it. Proverbs 16 and verse 32 says, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh the city. Right? And so God paints a good picture for us and he talks about how important it is to be ruly and and to have have control so the example the, the idea of course is that God wants us to be to be to have rule to be controlled to be led to be sober to be discreet to be all of those things but the reality is is that some aren't some of your friends aren't some of your disciples aren't some of your sheep aren't you know as pastors Sometimes, even maybe we aren't. And maybe sometimes you look at your own life and you go, there are moments where, when I function, when I live as if I had no walls. I take the walls down and I let anything go. There are some good examples of that in the Bible. King Saul was an unruly man. Right? I mean, he's throwing son, uh, spears at his own son. He's, he's insulting his son and the mother of his son at the same time. Uh, you know, for him, he, he's hunting David like an animal, and he's just going, just whatever his, his whim was, it drove him, and he went after it, and it was, it was almost always self-focused. His unruliness was always driven around him. Nabal, another good example of an unruly man in your Bible, in 1 Samuel twenty five seventeen. he's called such a son of Belial, Right? So David comes and, and asks a simple thing of him and, and this is a good example of like blowing the response up way out of proportion with, with Nabal. He he just goes crazy. He's like, No way And uh, you know, you can read you can read that story uh, and follow up on that and and Nabal is well, his wife tries to save him, but it doesn't work out so well for him. Um, but these are you know, two great examples of men who had absolutely no control over their actions and over their lives and over the way that they they, they stewarded themselves and the decisions they made and the people around them. The Bible also tells us that, that our words can be unruly as well. Titus chapter one and verse ten it says There are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. So not only can it be our, our actions, but it can be just the things that we say. You have absolutely no control over this, this hole in your face. And just everything pours out of it. And it just keeps coming out. And, 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 and there's no walls there. Absolutely unruly. The, the thing I like about this verse is that if, we were, if Paul was writing it today, he would have said something like, man, in that church... There's a lot of people that run their mouth, right? Because he's like, especially the day of the circumcision. He's, he's calling out his own people. He's calling out the religious folk in this verse. And it, and it could be very much probably said of, our, of the, even this place, as good as it is, and as, is, and is, you know, I think we have probably the greatest people in the world filling these pews, uh, I bet Paul could write this same thing. James 3:8, "But the tongue uh, can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. So we get the power of, of the mouth, the power of the tongue, uh, and, and the need for it to be controlled, yet perhaps it can't even be. It's just unruly. Uh, you know in Titus chapter one, it's talking about elders, and one of the requirements for an elder is that he would not be unruly. And so we have clear instruction of what God wants from us. And I hope that's kind of painting a picture for us as to what the unruly are like. So what do we do with the unruly? How do we respond to that? We have people in our ministry, we have disciples, we again we have all of these, we have friends that are that are unruly. So how do I get a right response to them? And what the Bible says is that you warn the unruly. What does that mean? It means to put in mind admonish, to caution, to reprove gently. Those sound so nice and encouraging. I know you were probably wanting something different. Like they're unruly. Like uh, let's, let's break them. Let's get the rod or something. Right? But here's, here's the first instruction on dealing with the unruly. It's to admonish them. It's, it's to warn them. So the warning is to let them know And this is, you know, stolen from from Mark Trotter. But the warning is to let them know that if they continue on the path they're on, then they're going to end up where it's going. Right? And that's exactly what the warning is for. When people are unruly, the first responsibility that we have is to give them a warning and say, look, this is where that path will take you. And if you keep going, if you continue to be unruly, that's where you will end up it's pretty simple. Just look down the road. And if you can't, let me show you some maybe famous examples in history who were on that path where you are and help you to look down that road. Right? And so that's that's what the, the warning is for. The warning is to let them know where they're going. But the warning should also not be a threat. It's a chance for them to change. So it's not that we're coming at him with force and, and, and flexing and, and, and showing, you know, hey, you do this or else. It's, it's not one of those. In this case, he's not bringing the guns with him. It's real simple. It's like, listen, you're out of control. And if you keep going that way, this is where it's going. And the reason I'm bringing this up, the reason I'm warning you is actually for the hope of Reconciliation. It's to give that person a chance to respond rightly and to change. Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. Um, I didn't put it up there and we won't read it all, but it says, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman. And it goes in, and it talks to us about the watchman and the responsibility of a watchman. And we could replace that word with a warner, one who has um, you know, the responsibility to look out and to see and then to, to communicate a message a watchman under the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the word at my mouth and give them the warning from me. That's the instruction that God gives the watchman. And he goes on down through that. And he says, if they respond, oh, well, praise the Lord, you've saved them and yourself because you warned them. If you don't warn them, the blood's on you. So you have a responsibility when you see the unruly to give them a warning in love. Otherwise, he says, the blood's on you as well if they choose not to. And at the end, he's saying all of this. He says, "So that they might live." Verse twenty-one. That's the goal. And, you know, even with the the worst on the list, the goal is that there could be reconciliation. Therefore, hear the word at my mouth and give them the warning from me. So the purpose of the warning is to save a life. That's what we're hoping to do with the unruly. And so, with the warning, should always come an opportunity. A space for change, a time for change, a genuine opportunity that says, Hey, look, here's what I'm seeing. And just so you know, you don't like where it's going, and I don't either, but I don't want you to go there either. So it's a warning that's based in love. Acts chapter 20, verses 27 to 31, he says, For I have not uh, shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. And he goes on to, to expound upon that, but that's, the, that's your job as a counselor. To know the counsel of God and then to be able to take it and give it to the unruly and to warn them away from the things that they're doing. 1 Corinthians 4.14. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. I warn you. And here's another important point when we're dealing with the unruly. We shouldn't be doing it for for the purpose of shaming them either, which means keep it private. If you have the opportunity to do, count, to, to do counseling, to give a warning to someone who's unruly, uh, I, start in private, man. You're not broadcasting that. And after you've done it in private, you don't need to, um, to do the Christian gossip thing where you're like, oh, hey, pray about this, and then you, you, you just barf that whole thing out, right? Because we know what you're really doing. You're just using that as a way to... Spread it around. So we're not trying to shame them into doing right. We want a genuine change of heart to come out of them. And we should be continuing to pray for them. So keep it private. For 1 Samuel 3.13, For I have told him that I will judge his house, God talking uh, to Samuel and for, uh, to Eli and his house, forever for the iniquity which uh, he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. The condemnation was that you knew that they were unruly and you didn't go in and warn them. You didn't turn them away from the way that they went. That's your responsibility with the unruly. Romans chapter 15 and verse 14, it says, And I myself also also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that uh, you are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. And this is, this is the encouragement that I would give to a lot of you. You're able to admonish one another, to encourage and to warn one another, right? And, and I like what it says here, and this is important. Before, before you all walk away and just start, you know, warning everybody. Like this is, James just gave us the opportunity, and you like pull out your sword You pull out the bow and you're firing arrows into the heart of everybody here. I see all the unruly people and after tonight, oh, good. Who is it that should be doing the warning? Well, according to that verse in Romans 15, 14, it's you that are full of goodness and with all knowledge, meaning those that have the right heart and the right understanding. There is a right heart that has to be a part of warning the unruly and a right understanding as well. So if you've got that, oh man, someone's in your scope tonight. Listen, wrong heart. You're not the one to fix it. That's not you. Not until you're brokenhearted about the fact that you need to go and to warn them. So a right heart and a right knowledge. Because if your heart is wrong, man, it's just, it's just like this reprimand, and you're doing it in pride. Without goodness, that's all a warning becomes. In Job 38 and verse 2, it says, Who is this that darkeneth counsels by words without knowledge? The danger of you going even with a right heart, but not having right knowledge. Maybe knowledge of that situation or knowledge of the word of God to know how to to apply it. And here was God's God's question. Who are you that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Listen, if you go into a situation without the knowledge from the word that you need to be able to apply to that warning, all you're going to do is darken the situation. Colossians 3.16, you'll want to read that. Um, You'll want to also just keep in mind and compare this against 2 Thessalonians 3.6, where Paul writes, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves away from every brother that walketh disorderly. And we won't dive into this, but I'll just tell you this. Eventually, you stay on that path long enough and the sword does come. There is church discipline, and and Paul lays out all of those things. And, And 2 Thessalonians isn't a contradiction to 1 Thessalonians, though they say very different things. By the time you get to 2 Thessalonians, he says, well, you need to separate yourself uh, from the unruly. Why is that? Because 1 Thessalonians already happened. Because you already did the warning thing, and you've been down that road, right? And so there will come a time, and, uh, and we'll just leave that there. So it's right to give the unruly a warning before the discipline comes. Parents, this is good news for your children, too. It's, it, you know, your, your children should know why they're being disciplined. It should not be a surprise to them and it should not be a surprise to the unruly when the discipline does come. They should have been warned already, and if we are not warning them and the discipline comes, and they go, I, didn't, I don't get it. Why am I being disciplined now? That's on us, counselors. It is our job to bring the warning so that when the, the sword does have to come or the rod does have to come, they can't stand there and go, I, but I didn't know. The unruly should know. My kids aren't surprised. When they get disciplined, they know, right? And by the way, it should also never be like an I told you so situation. That shouldn't be your heart. I told you this would happen. See, look where you are now. Told you so. The watchman has the responsibility to warn. Comfort the feeble-minded. That's the next, the next group of people. So we have the unruly, but then we have the feeble-minded. How do we uh, identify the feeble-minded? The, the feeble uh, generally are those that need to be carried for a while. That's how we are to understand the feeble from, from the Bible. They don't have the strength to continue. And with the feeble-minded, so you have the feeble in, in body, and we'd see that, but we have the feeble-minded as well. Uh, they're, they're hindered by their thoughts. Uh, we could say, you know, the, um, there's a tendency towards doubt and worry. I don't know if I can go forward right now. And this is the thing about the feeble. The, the encouragement in the Word is 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 to to load them up on an ass and to carry them along like a donkey you know you just put them up there and you bring them with you that's what you do with the feeble you don't leave them and that's what we do with the feeble minded as well they don't have the strength to go on right now that's second chronicles 28:15 david says and he carried all the feeble of them upon the asses and he's talking about how he, he packed up uh, you know at one level we would say that these are the people that are always praying about it but never moving forward. Meaning they're always worried about it and they're always wrestling and you're always trying to figure it out. Should I do this or not? Should I move forward? And you spend your whole life praying about where you should get involved, but you don't actually ever get involved. That's a feeble-minded position. Okay, It's insecure all the time. Now, that's obviously not... Always the case. We can you can find people who who are involved in ministry, uh, but are still uh, you know feeble-minded. And I, if we were to be honest, I would say that all of us have moments in our lives where we are the feeble-minded, where we go, I don't, know, I just don't know if I have the strength to go forward now, physically or emotionally, in my processes. If I'm being honest with you, I'm going I can identify with what Kenny was telling you on Sunday, where I've thought that I'm because of education or whatever, better than my wife. And she knew all along that I was just (laughs) feeble-minded. She's like, if we were in the South, she'd be like, bless your heart. (laughs) We're to comfort the the feeble-minded. That means we're to encourage them. We're to console them. It it literally means that we are to, to come alongside of them. Presence. Is what the feeble-minded need. Pastors know that because, well, those are the ones that are texting you all the time and are constantly in your in in your feed or in your 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 office or in your face. But that's what the feeble-minded need. They need someone to reassure them. They need the comfort. They need you to come alongside of them. Like like in Job 2.11, Job's friends, they just came and they were there. Presence is what it took to comfort him in his moment of need. Genesis 37.35 or Psalms 23 and verse 4, the good shepherd, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. It's the presence of the shepherd being there. That does that. 1 Chronicles 7.22 And Ephraim their father mourned many days and his brethren came to comfort him. So with the feeble minded what they need most of all is they need to know that you're there. That even though they, they don't have the strength to move forward now, well, I'm not abandoning you and I'm not leaving you behind. Listen, I'll be here. And that may be just enough to get them back on their feet again and to get them strengthened again. So comfort comes from our presence. Comfort can also come through our words. Psalms 119.50, This is my comfort and my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. So we also need to know how to rightly use our words and apply them into the lives of the feeble-minded. We need to comfort through our presence. But, if, you know, the best thing that Job's friends ever did was sit, sit with their mouths shut for seven days. For them, it was when they did open their mouths that things just fell apart. We don't want to be that kind of friend. You want to have the right words to be able to interject there as well. Elijah is a good example of this. A great and mighty man of God. And yet after coming off of a great victory, a great opportunity, a great time where God has showed himself, he goes away and starts to confess the, the, the feeble-minded moment that he's having. I, and, he, and he's like, I can't do it. And I'm the only one. And the truth is, if I'm being honest with you, there's been times in my life and times in my ministry where I am Elijah. Elijah. Sam may or may not know it, but he's comforted this feeble mind many times. And a lot of us, if we're honest, we'd say the same, is that this guy means a lot to us because he just kept coming alongside and said, "Hey, I know you don't think you can walk right now, but I'm here." In Proverbs uh, chapter 30 and verse 26, it says that the conies are but a feeble folk, yet they make their houses in the rock. And I would just say this, there is hope for you. If you, if you are the feeble-minded, if you are the one that, that is, is constantly stressed and burdened by worry and, and, and doesn't know what step to take forward, uh, look, build your house on the rock. The feeble were too, and they, I'm sorry, the conies were too, and maybe that's you for life. Maybe that's, that's just your character. Listen, even the conies had strength and victory when they built their house on the rock. So find the right place to get established and maybe you're feeble-minded forever, but, but be like the conies then. Get in the rock. And be there. Here's a strong warning in 1 Corinthians 12.22. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. Listen, you think you're strong and this is what happens. You have a tendency to despise the ones that you think are weaker than you, but the feeble members are necessary too. MBT is not MBT without the feeble members that are here too. So maybe for you, feeble-minded is is descriptive, not pejorative. It's not a put-down. It's not an insult. You'll grow. You'll get stronger. But maybe you'll always say, I'm not sure I can walk. Well, plug in to the rock and listen, we need you. The body needs you too. Romans 14, verse 1, Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, not to doubtful disputations. If you know that somebody is feeble-minded and you're the one that's that's setting the bar too high, you're the one that's challenging them with with deep scripture and and improving your theological intellect in front of them, shame on you. They don't need that. Receive them that are weak and meet them where they are. Comfort the younger believer who's feeble-minded. Support the weak. This is the last thing that we're called to do. It's to to support the weak. So how do we identify the weak? The weak are the ones who are not strong enough for the task that they're engaged in. They're unable to achieve anything great. But listen, here's how they differ from, from the feeble. They are working. The weak are there. They've got their hands on the plow, but they just don't have the strength to get it done. And they feel like they're getting crushed, but they're involved. And they're going. And they're working at it. Acts chapter 20 and verse 35, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak. And this is, this is our job. How do you respond? Uh, and that's exactly what it tells us. To support the weak. Look, there are, there are brothers and sisters around us who are, who are in there and are doing it and are giving their best that they have. <clears throat> and they feel like they're going to break. I feel like they're going to get crushed by it. Well, what is your job? Well, your job is to, to get your hands on the work with them. Shoulder up to that yoke with them. Get your hands on the plow. Um, it's like this. You know when you're driving and you see a, um, an accident happen and a car gets hit and then like a van, let's say it's a van, it gets hit and it tips over and it's like on the the, side of the, on its side in the middle of the road. You guys have all seen that happen, right? Well, weird. Anyway, <laughs> look, I'm going to carry on with my example because I've seen this a lot, <clears throat> actually. That, yeah, movies, you see it a lot, but no, I've like lived it. That's just a fairly regular thing in Pakistan. I would say once to twice a year, I've personally physically witnessed that. And it, boom, and car tips over. And then this is what would happen there. Uh, everybody would just, like, stop and get out of their car, and everybody would go over, like, and they'd pick the car up. I'm not kidding you. I've been a part of this, even. And, uh, you know, they, like, get the driver, and they, like, dust him off, and they toss him in. And this even, this, this, happened, this happened to a friend of ours, an American missionary who was there. He got in a wreck. His car flipped over, and, and they did. They got out. They picked his car up. He's all dazed. So they throw him back in. They get the bumper. It's, like, over here, and they throw it in the back of the car. And Like, here's your cell phone, bro. And they're like, all right, go, drive, get out of here. True story. (laughs) Happens all the time. The point was that everybody gets around it. And they're lifting up the one that's weak when they're down. So you come alongside and you add your hands to the work. Proverbs 3.18, we'll, we'll close real fast. She is a tree to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is every one that, uh, that, that retaineth her. Listen, here's the question. Do you add life to the things that you put your hand to? Because when you come along, the load should get easier. The the, the the burden should get lighter. That is your goal with the weak, is that you lighten their load and that you make it easier. You add life, you add joy to their situation. So we hold fast the faithful word as we've been taught that that we may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. You hold fast and you join to that. Alright. So we're out of time. Finally, you do all of that with patience. You do it with patience toward all. And that's how the verse wraps up. And by the way, in case you're wondering, all our God is the perfect example and the perfect answer in every one of these situations. Right? So wherever you find yourself, you will find that the Holy Spirit can do all of these things in your life as well. And so maybe you find yourself being uh, on the receiving end of warnings. Hey, take heed. You're unruly. Maybe you're, maybe you're feeble. Well, all right. Plug into the rock. Maybe you're weak. Sometimes the best thing you can do when you're weak is just to tell somebody, I need some help lifting this load right now. So wherever you're at, you fit into that somewhere. And there are people in your life that you need to know how to, how to rightly assess and identify and so you can apply a right response in all of those situations. Heavenly Father, God, we do thank you that you are the answer to all of these situations and that you do it perfectly and you do it right in our lives. That when we are weak, that you strengthen us. God, that when, we're, when, we, when we doubt, that you comfort us. God, you, you, you encourage our hearts. And God, when we, we start to step out of line, God, you warn us. I pray that you would do that in the hearts and the lives of these people here. God, make us um, better ministers of your word. God, more in love with with the body and more equipped to, to encourage one another and to strengthen one another as iron sharpening iron. In Jesus' name, amen.